All right. Well, welcome back to another COVID conversation on the Speech Uncensored podcast. I'm Leanne Porter, your host, and I'm sitting down today with Dr. Jordan Hazelwood, who's going to be sharing um, her experiences and how this pandemic has been affecting university life and graduate students in our communication and disorders program. So welcome, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. I'm really, really looking forward to hearing more about this. Um, I did an Instagram story series earlier this week, and the students just like came out in force talking about the disruption to their clinical practice, their concerns for their future, um, really worried that they're not going to get the hands-on experience prior to becoming a professional that they were hoping to get. So I think there's a lot to cover during our talk today. And um, and then your own experience as a professor and how you guys have had to transfer all to online virtual distance learning and the interesting struggles that that involves too. So all valid, valid points in this current time that we have right now. True, true. All right. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, where you are, what you do. I'm an assistant professor at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. And before I became a professor, I worked as a clinician for several years in inpatient rehabilitation, as well as inpatient acute care. And my area of interest has always been in dysphagia. And I studied to get my board certification. And after that, I decided I really wanted to learn more about doing research with my patients. And so I decided to go back and do my doctoral work. And it was at that time I really started to understand the lack of training for students in this came from my own experience as well as understanding how SLPs are viewed in the general sense from other healthcare professionals. So my real mission in being a professor is to be able to train up students and clinicians to be competent and respected in our field and allow them to be able to practice to the top of their license. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this uh, pandemic is going to impact our field because I really think it will have a big impact um, but I think right now we need to just focus on getting through. So, um, my other background is I am currently serving as the, um, professional development manager for ASHA's, uh, SIG or special interest group 13, which is for swallowing and swallowing disorders. And so I think I'm coming at it from another perspective as well, from a service, uh, perspective from at the national level and how we can also help, uh, serve our SLPs who are going through this crisis. Excellent. Good. All right. This is exciting. I Okay. So I love your mission on equipping students and clinicians to serve at the top of our license. Like so many of us are right there with you. Like we want that so bad too. And I know when I was a graduate student, I had a lot of the same concerns that I'm hearing from the group right now. Like, do I have enough experience? Am I ready for this? I don't feel like I'm going to be well equipped to do this job. And it is a continual learning process, but I do agree with you. I think we can do better at our education level um, before they graduate. So, Well, sure. And I always tell my students, we're all clinicians in training, and I include myself in that. There are lots of things that I've learned just from all this information that's coming out about COVID-19 that I didn't realize really was um, at the forefront of my mind. And so even as we're supervising students, we're starting to think about things that we know that we don't necessarily explicitly teach our students. And I think that's coming through as we're learning more about this disease as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. 
Well, so let's start off kind of at the beginning. How has COVID-19 changed your practice and your work patterns as a professor at a university with graduate students? Well, the very first inkling that came through was uh, when I had a student who was in her internship saying, I think I might have been exposed. And I said, okay, well, we definitely we need to uh, address this at a greater level. And we talked to um, our our department chair and our dean, and we tried to figure out some ways that we could mitigate that. And right around that time is when the mandate came down from the governor that, hey, we're actually going to be um, closing all the universities and moving everything, shifting online. And so um, we really started to go into full mode of how can we manage the students' programs to the best of our ability without totally interrupting their educational process. And uh, we've worked really diligently and and successfully, I think, as a team from a faculty standpoint. All of our academic professors and our clinical educators that are working to manage the students' um, load has been uh, a tremendous effort. We're looking not only at clinical hours, but also classroom time, making sure that they're able to get the information they need to pass the praxis, um, that we had to do a modification for admission to candidacy program for our graduate program and modify that because that was supposed to be in-person interviews with the students and we weren't able to make that happen. So there's been several uh, different levels of changes that have occurred because of that. Um, I also think the other thing that we're trying to address is it's not just at the graduate level either. We have undergraduate programs that are trying to um, graduate students so that they can move into the graduate process. And, you know, two days ago in North Carolina on April 15th was decision day where everybody had to put in their decisions about where they're wanting to go for grad school. And students were really um, very stressed about that and trying to figure out, are we, are we going to have classes in the fall? And um, should I take a year off and make sure that this cools down so they can get the full experience of having in-class person um, experiences and things of that nature. So there were multiple factors that were flying around. And I think that the the biggest thing is that in order to address them, we really had to work together as a team. And I think that we've done that successfully. Nice. Yeah. I hadn't considered that aspect of um, people going into grad school wanting to maybe wait a year because yeah, if, if they wanted an online program, there are universities that offer distance learning already for your master's degree. And some people purposefully choose to go to, I don't know, the alternate, the standard university style where they're in person mm-hmm. classes for that face-to-face contact. And so if they're not going to get that, yeah, I could see that being a concern that I really hadn't considered before. That's interesting. And we also have students who are about to graduate, our undergraduates and our graduate students. And I feel it's always really important to mark life ends and accomplishments. And I feel like they're severely disappointed that they're not able to um, experience that. And I am too. You know, we've had these students for several years. I want to give them that hug and tell them congratulations. I know you're going to be a great clinician and I look forward to seeing you in grad school. And that's been difficult from the personal side to, you know, have having had invested um, in those students and not being able to celebrate with them. So that's been a little bit of a, of a sadness, I think, that we're having to work through. Um, there's been talk for us to do an alternative graduation ceremony. Our university is hosting a virtual ceremony, but they've offered the students to have the option to come back and do um, an in-person 
commencement uh, to walk the stage, if you will, in December. So we're all just still crossing our fingers that that will actually come to come to play. Hmm. That's good. I'm really glad to hear that there are options available. Um, Cause yeah, for some people, this is, this is a, a massive achievement, an incredible achievement. Maybe they're the first in their family. They should be able to mark that. That's incredible. So yeah, I'm glad that that's still being offered. I think the nice thing about it is though, because the end is not so marked that they're feeling a little bit more connected to us than maybe usually, you know, where they say, goodbye, I'm off. I'm going to fly the nest. Um, they are reaching back out and asking about potential internship sites and tell me about your thoughts about different grad schools. And I think that they might be seeking that advice because they don't have that, our interactions with them daily, like we usually do. Um, and I think that might be a, a benefit that comes up all of this in, in the long arm. So like an increase in relationship building and mentorship and all of that. That's, that's exactly. good. We need more of that. <laughs> so have there been any significant obstacles to changing your practice patterns to meet the needs of students from a distance? Well, I think the very first thing was um, the biggest obstacle of uncertainty. And I think we still have that obstacle still. When is this going to end? Is it going to end? And the answer is yes, it will end eventually. But um, students first were worried about, am I staying here in, in the current situation that I'm in? Do I go home to my parents? Some of them don't have the opportunity. They don't have access to housing. Um, and sometimes we forget our students have financial considerations. You know, many of them are working to support themselves to go through the program and um, disrupting their lifestyle by saying you can no longer live here. You cannot go lo- no longer attend classes here. That makes a big transition for them. So that that's, that was a big thing for our students. Um, and I also think my personal obstacle was I initially came home with my laptop like it was an every other day and I was going to come back into the office and then I realized I cannot teach for the rest of the semester with just my laptop. (laughs) So we had to uh, make some adjustments and our IT support staff have been wonderful. They've been allowing us to um, have access to additional monitors or screens or any type of equipment that we need to be able to actually uh, teach successfully online. And so that has been a wonderful obstacle that's been overcome initially. Um, the other obstacle for me is my work day is not the same. My schedule is no longer how it used to be. Um, I've been keeping some very odd hours. I'm a mom. Um, my husband is a business owner and his business is seasonal. It just started. He was waiting for the end of winter so he could get back to work. So he's at work um, while I'm trying to be at work while trying to be a mom. And that makes a nice balance that we all have to kind of juggle. But I've been keeping some odd hours because of that. So um, one of the things I've been really uh, trying to take advantage of is the send later aspect in my emails. So I might address the email to everyone at two o'clock in the morning, but I hope I'm, you know, being respectful enough to send it at 9 a.m. the next day. So, um, yeah, Yeah, I love that feature in emails. craft emails that I'm not going to send for like three weeks, <laughs> like so, done. There's been a lot of obstacles too, you know, when uh, students have different class schedules now where I used to be able to say, oh, they have this certain time frame available to meet with me for office hours or um, to catch up 
they now have classes at different times and they're now trying to juggle um, graduate assistantship work and, and things of that nature. Some of, um, several actually of my students are actually healthcare workers. Uh, they're paramedics or they're CNAs. And so their work schedules have gone through the roof and they're needing to meet at odd times because I'm, um, you know, hopefully being flexible to work around their schedule so that they can get their class material that they need. So while a lot of people might assume that the students are sitting around and they're not doing a whole bunch, they're actually probably more busy than usual right now. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. We don't want to generalize what one student's experience might be like when there's so much diversity out there in our student population these days. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. The other thing too is um, Boone is a rural population area. I mean, we're geographically isolated. And so several of our students, when they return to home, they are returning to rural settings and they don't have necessarily uh, consistent access to internet or they're using their phone as a hotspot and they have limited minutes. And so thinking about even the way I am presenting my lectures online, I'm presenting them in little snippets as opposed to a big long hour and a half recorded lecture so that when they're streaming it or downloading it, that they can maximize their minutes. I'm trying to also give them um, different readings and to supplement the lecture as opposed to actually saying, okay, this is the one lecture, this is all you get. And I feel like it, hopefully the goal is to make it a more well-rounded learning experience and give them different um, learning modalities through the online system. But that's been an obstacle too in thinking about what can they actually consume in the time frame that they can consume it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that would be a really interesting line to walk on making sure you're giving your students enough information to equip them for their future, but not overwhelming them if they are, if they have a lot of responsibilities outside of school right now. And then they, they feel like they can't keep up and they have one more thing added to their already two full plates. So mm-hmm. the other thing is figuring that level out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're also now, you know, changing their schedules from being an in-clinic um, internships or or practicums to trying to complete um, simulation cases with our clinical educators. They are now involved in more group work. Um, Some of my final projects that would have been conducted in class, they're now having to do that together um, offline in their own time. So it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge. I think though, from my perspective, I'm trying to be more flexible and I feel like, I've been a lot more explicit about my expectations to my students where in class I'd say, well, you know, why don't you see how it goes? Try to figure it out as a, you know, a guiding perspective while I'm standing there in the classroom and I can say, well, no, you might want to try it this way instead. Now I'm saying, be creative. I don't really care what the end product looks like. My goal for you is X, Y, Z. I want you to learn this particular task. And if I feel that by whatever product it is that you present to me at the end accomplishes that, and I can tell that you've met the objective, whatever it is that we're learning, then that's fine. You know, I don't need a perfect a perfect video or a perfect portfolio or anything like that. I just need to see that you've learned the material. And that if you feel like you're going to go see a patient tomorrow and you would be comfortable with that, then that's what really matters. 
Yeah, yeah, I'd say 100% agree with that because what what I prepare for or execute in therapy is not always pretty. But as long as my patients are making gains and they're satisfied with the progress that we're making, yeah, I don't care what it looks like either. Like I don't need some beautiful worksheet that I've spent hours laboring over to personalize for their needs. Like I'll just get a piece of paper and a Sharpie and go to town like right there with them in that moment. So. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the other thing that's been helpful is there are so many resources now that I'm providing to them. So ASHA has a great COVID-19 website that's being updated daily. And, you know, since this is the topic of conversation, I initially took some time off from talking about COVID in class and in my emails, you know, I would check in with them. So how are you guys doing? I hope you're doing all right. And I'd give a little snippet, you know, I made some homemade bread today to make it a little bit more personal, but then I started to think, you know, that it's really important that we address this with our students and let them know what's really happening on the front lines or on the back lines and how that's being, um, how it's changing our practice. And so I actually had a really great opportunity to have some SLPs join me on a Zoom conference call with my students. And it was fascinating. And my students really, I think, appreciated the opportunity to address the elephant in the room and and ask the scary questions and hear about what it's really like from the people who are there. And um, I think for me, that was one of the most powerful moments of the semester so far. That's awesome. I love that. Um, I also like how you talked about frontline and backline. And I really like that distinction because, and this is just my personal experience. I feel like I make up the backline in my hospital. Like Mm -hmm. I'm there supporting doctors and nurses who are one-on-one with those patients. And when they need us to assist them in treating their patient at whatever stage, they can call on us and we're in there to support them and the patient. But yeah, because through this whole thing, you know, talking about healthcare workers and SLPs and being essential and being on the front line, that's never really personally, as for me, sat well with me. I've not been like, yeah, I'm on the front line. Like, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> so I like I like that idea of the back line. Like, I feel like I'm in a supporting role. So I like that you've kind of like given a word to how I feel like my role has been so far in my practice and in my hospital with this. So I like that. Thanks. You're welcome. And I think too, I, I had a clinical educator, she works in the prison system and she said, Oh, I'm, I'm not even at work right now. And I said, but tell me what it is that you're doing. And she said, she's been providing, um, access to someone to read the prisoner's letters to them and all these things that she does that kind of go unnoticed. And I feel that, for all of those people who are not on the front line, and, and I would include myself, I'm not on the front line right now, but there's a lot of things that clinicians and SLPs are doing that support everybody else. And now that we're not there, they're realizing the importance of our role. And I think that in itself is kind of a, a present, you know, if we think about when you're not there, you really are needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is good. Um, have there been any unexpected benefits to how COVID-19 has changed your practice or work. And I know we've kind of touched on a couple where it's, it's building better mentorship relationships with your students and you and some other things. Um, any that you want to review or mention that we haven't touched on yet? I would think for my students, I think that they are very much now in some forward thinking mode where usually they might be day to day. What quiz do I have today? What exam do I have today? And now they're really starting to see 
how what they're doing impacts patients. I think it, it's they're really starting to get there. Even for my undergrads, they're thinking, wow, okay, this really is a big deal, this career that I'm studying for. I'm not just studying to get a, de- a degree. And I think that's the ben- biggest unexpected benefits um, for my students. I've enjoyed for myself being able to be home. A lot of times I find that when I'm at work, as much as I love my job, um, I get tired of being in my office sometimes and I would love to just be home with my family. And so being home with my family has been a great benefit. It's made doing my job harder. Um, and I mentioned, you know, the odd hours I've been keeping, but that actually has allowed me to be a bit more productive. I feel like I've gotten caught up on a lot of things. Um, a lot of, you see probably that meme that floats around, you know, that meeting could have been an email. I feel like we're, I think we're being very efficient now in our communication and that we're, you know, the interruptions that typically may um, include different people just popping in or going to get lunch and all those things are, are great for collegiality. They're not especially important for uh, productivity in regards to uh, an academics perspective. So um, I've been able to get a couple of projects wrapped up. I've finalized a grant. So I've gotten a lot of things done on my plate that I needed to get done um, that might not have happened if I'd been circling busy at, at work during this time. Mm-hmm. That is, I, I would, I doubt this will happen, but I would be so curious is, is if our workplaces became more flexible for those with jobs that could be flexible to do part or some work from home and in person, because there there are distinct benefits to being more productive at home for some people. Like I'm probably not one of those people. I, don't <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I think one of the reasons I truly do love academia is that we do have a lot of flexibility, but um, I'm also kind of on call right now for my students because they have their various schedules and things are really uprooted right now. So I've been trying to be conscious of not being on the computer, or on my phone at all the time, um, and making sure that I'm having some good boundaries. I've put up an away message that says, you know, I'm here, but I may not be responding as predictably as I normally would. And uh, a funny meme of a of uh, somebody trying to get onto a conference call and they say, is this good time? I said, yes, this is fine. And there's like a, a baby fox wrapped around the mama fox's head because <laughs> that's me. Uh, typically... My son has been popping into the Zoom meetings and, and things like that, here, but hey, you know, we, we are people and uh, it's kind of like seeing your teacher at the grocery store. They finally realize I do have a life outside of my job. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. Um, what are some resources that you've been using to keep your workflow progressing or some things you've been sharing with your students that have been really helpful for them during this time? Um, what have you been gravitating towards? So I feel like I'm a walking advertisement for this right now, but there is a website called focusmate.com. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it's basically a virtual online accountability partner. And so it has really allowed me to sign on at any given time when I feel like this could be a good time where I could get some work on. Uh, work done and then find somebody who else is online at the same time. And then you put your screens up and you say, my goal for this session is to do blah, blah, blah. And you say, okay, great. Have a good session. You mute, you mute yourself. You work for 15 minutes. And at the end of the session, you say, how'd you do Did you meet your goal? 
And I've done sessions back to back to back. And it's been actually pretty cool because I've talked to people all over the world because I'm up at weird hours of the of the day. So, you know, it's four o'clock their time and it's three o'clock a.m. my time. Um, but it's it's been wonderful and being able to feel like, OK, I've got somebody there that's working through stuff with me, even if everybody else is asleep but I can get things done. So that's one of the things that I didn't know about beforehand. And I've suggested it to a few of my students because they feel like I know I need to get studying done. I'm absolutely not motivated. I don't feel like I can focus. And that has, um, that's been helpful for me. So I've recommended that in regards to just resources, um, our online community at um, at Appalachian State, our teaching community, they have put together a fantastic resources for us to just be able to, how to teach online, how to use Zoom. So um, each of the departments has also been assigned a, uh, a champion, an online champion to help everybody get their courses switched over to online. And I'd had some previous uh, experience teaching online, but it's, it's very different. And so that having that liaison that's been um, checking in with us and sending us resources, that's been super helpful. And I think the other big thing for me is the ASHA COVID-19 webpage, because that's being uh, constantly updated and they're, they're updating it from everybody's perspective. So school system, health system, telehealth, academics, it's all in one spot and it's being updated constantly. And so I really feel like that's been um, a good resource for me as well. Excellent. Um, okay. So have there been any, um, let me see, how do I want to put this? What stayed the same? Because like in my own life and in my own practice, I feel like there's this unique mix of business as usual and look around you, Leanne, nothing is the same, you know? And so in your circumstances, what have been those constants? What has not changed? I think the thing for me is once I've gotten a, the ball rolling with my students, um, you know, I had to rework all of my syllabi and, and post everything back up there and say, okay, here's the new due dates and, and things of that nature. I think my communication with them has been the same. So I send out an email about the week every Monday morning. Today's lecture is posted. Here are your goals for this week. Here are the upcoming things that you need to keep an eye on. And then also my responsivity to them. Generally, if I've assigned something in class or I put a some type of content up and I've gotten a question about it, that means that I need to address that generally to the class. And so I'll get a couple of questions uh, from students you know, I've got large classes that I'm teaching right now. So if, and I don't even wait until the question comes through more than once. That's typically the general, you know, if you get that question more than once then you should answer it. But I thought, you know, if I'm getting it once, that's, that's enough. So I'll respond to that person individually. And then I will start tallying like a, a general email to the entire class. So if I've gotten a couple of different things that I need to remind them of, I'll just shoot off an email and Interestingly enough, because of my uh, constant communication with them, where I would constantly see them in class, I, I, want to, I want them to feel like they have as much access to me now as than they did before. Um, so I don't think that's really changed. And I, um, before all of this came into play, I had group, uh, excuse me, I had guest lecturers in, involved in my class. I'd invited them to class and said, can you please 
um, give a guest lecture and this is what we're focusing on. I've been able to keep all of those appointments. My guest lecturers have been very flexible in pre-recording things and um, kind of changing some timelines, but I've been able to include all of those guest lectures, which I think is a valuable experience for students to hear from people other than me. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's stayed the same. And also the end of class date has stayed the same. <laughs> and I know that sounds so funny, but that was one of our first initial concerns uh, from the academic standpoint is, are we extending the semester or are we trying to squish everything in? Because our um, COVID shutdown happened during spring break. And then the next week was an extended spring break to have academic faculty be able to prepare their classes to online. And so we basically lost a week of class and we were concerned about having to squish stuff in or extend it. And so the last day of class has stayed the same. And But I think that's a good thing because we also are all now looking forward to May break. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> last push now to get through and grades are starting to come in and um, we're at the point of that semester where typically the seniors would be getting major senioritis, right? They're, trying, they're ready to get out. Um, so I think having that end of class date stay the same, um, as silly as that sounds, has been very important. Good. Excellent. Um, what advice would you share with others in education, in universities, and with graduate students and undergraduate students who might be listening? I think the advice really is that you need to just be able to acknowledge that there is something going on, that things are not going to be like they normally are, but that this is hard and you can do hard things. You know, we don't go into this field because we can't manage things. We can manage things very well. And in fact, in going into this field, we're communication specialists. And I want to just advise everybody that we can continue being communication specialists through this. Um, the other thing too, since I have a platform, you know, my area is dysphagia management. And a lot of times people think that as a medical SLP, that you don't need to know about all the other areas of speech language pathology. And in fact, that's very much a myth. And so I think the advice I would say is for all of those who are raring to go and get out into your CF, make sure you're learning about the other areas of speech pathology as well. You still need to pass your praxis and you need to be competent in order to get your C's. And for those undergrads who don't know which direction they're going to go, you know, you really need to think about all the different um, avenues that speech pathologists can go in and the scope of practice that we have is really, really large. And I think the, the COVID pandemic has really shown uh, a bright light on how large our scope of practice really is. And so thinking about specialization is, is key, but also understanding that um, the best thing that you can do for yourself as a student is to become the best clinician you can. Mm -hmm. I agree. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jordan. This was great. I really appreciated the insight onto what life is like at the university level, how this has affected professors, the students, um, all kinds of things I couldn't have anticipated that you guys are working through. And I love hearing through all these conversations that our connection with each other and our communication is what is growing and improving. And I love that. I also just really want to point out for all the clinicians who are listening that our students 
are really, really concerned about the rigor of the program, right? So um, I don't know if the clinicians have seen this, but the academic world, there's a lot of things floating around right now that say, it's okay to not do your best job teaching. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because my less than good job teaching will eventually impact a patient. And um, a lot of times students will say, you know, well, this is really hard for me because I'm going through COVID issues, whether or not they have the disease or not. But my response to that is, yes, it's very hard, but your patients in three years and five years from now won't care. They won't care that you went through COVID. They just care that you know the information that you need to know to make them the best that you possibly can to help them. And so, yes, this is hard. It's very difficult, but the rigor needs to continue and we need to, but we can do that with compassion and Mm -hmm. um, we can move forward with compassion and let the students know that what you're doing is important. And therefore we're not going to let the bar slide down. And um, as you move forward in your careers, we expect you to have a certain knowledge base. We expect you to have a certain level of competency. um, And we expect you to be able to um, have compassion with that because your patients will be in a similar situation as well. But it doesn't matter what you've gone through. You just have to be able to provide the best care to your patients. And I think that's a... uh, the tricky path that we're walking right now, we have to definitely hold our students um, with, you know, hold their hands to a certain level and help them through this, but also hold their hands to pull them up into the next level of care and professionalism and say, you're going to be my colleague one day. And I expect a certain level of, uh, of rigor from you. And so to not let that slide, I think is another important thing to think about. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for students and for those currently working and who maybe aren't seeing as many patients during the day, like that doesn't mean in the that times that you're not treating one-on-one with patients that you get to sit around. Now, if you need some mental health time, please take that during your day. Exactly. But otherwise, what a great opportunity to read those articles, to look up something online and to further your knowledge to help your patients. Like that's really good too. Yeah, and the ASHA... Um learning pass that is free right now, that's a huge opportunity for students to be able to get ahead of things. If they're feeling like they might not get the learning experience that they want to, they can supplement in areas that they think will be important for them. And then they can put that on their CVs and their resumes and say, I took this initiative to build my professional development uh, skills. I learned about this specific thing and really um, makes them a lot more marketable where they might not necessarily have the um, flexibility in their schedules to do that if they were fully fledged in a face-to-face program at this point in time. So I think mm-hmm. that's another opportunity that somebody could take advantage of. Oh yeah, for sure. That's some good stuff. Um, okay. One last question. Yeah. <laughs> for the the students' hours, yeah. like if they're not, if they had their externships and internships cut short and they couldn't get their 425 contact hours, like what are they doing? The accrediting bodies that manage the students' hours, we're not, um, they're not changing their standards. And that's kind of what I was talking to before of, I'm not changing my standards of what my students need to know. It just might look a little bit different in how they get to know it. Mm -hmm. So simulation hours are a big deal. 
We're really hoping that when things um, reopen, so to speak, and students are able to return to their practicum sites, that our contracts and our supervisors will be willing to take our students. That's a big thing to continue the the flow process of getting speech pathologists um, from in training to you know actually becoming full fledged clinicians. And uh, the students are taking double practicum in the fall. So their fall is already starting to look different. Um, we're combining classes where we wouldn't normally combine classes or they're taking evening clinics and things of that nature. So we're being very creative. Um, but right now at our program, everybody is slated to finish on time. And luckily, before COVID happened, we were being very diligent in our program to make sure our students were getting their 20s and everybody was on board anyway. And so I think that, um, if anything, this is a wake-up call for some graduate programs to be able to see if they have things in line to be able to do some preventative maintenance now in the future uh, for emergency situations such as this to make sure that there's some wiggle room and some leeway for um, some flexibility for student changes that need to occur. Yeah, I think that applies in like literally every every field, every company, <laughs> everything out there in the world right now is recognizing what if this were to happen again in the future? What do we have in place to be able to sustain it and weather the storm? Yeah. So the United States Coast Guard uh, motto is Semper Paratus, which means always be prepared. And I think it's definitely, you know, we expect the unexpected in the healthcare world, but we don't necessarily expect the unexpected in the academic setting or in the school setting. And I think that this is definitely a, a good opportunity for people to rethink about how we approach things, um, especially when it comes to certification and things of that nature. Well, this was such a good talk. Jordan, thank you so much. I appreciate you carving time out from your day during the daylight hours for us to record. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. I really look look forward to seeing how things are going to turn out in the future. And I, I don't think it's going to be anything but positive. Me too. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks.